It's always great to get back in the pulpit and have an opportunity to, to speak here at the pier. Um, today's message is going to be kind of heavy, and I don't want to scare anybody off. I mean, don't believe, all right? I, I'm watching, but um, there's some heavy stuff that happens in our lives. Um, let me, I'm going to roll, roll the tape back a little bit. I'm going to go back to uh, the mid-90s when I was struggling with my call to missions. Okay, I was a missionary in Brazil for 15 years, and uh, at that time I was, I was struggling, not struggling, I knew God was calling me into missions, I was already in the, in the process, in the pipeline for preparing to be a missionary, and I was speaking at a church in western Pennsylvania, and I had lived in eastern Pennsylvania, this was in the wintertime, and I'm driving home down Route 78, and you know the kind of storms you don't like to drive in at night, the snowstorms? where there's like the slush is building up on the, on the highway and the car is just kind of swimming around like this and you're down to like 35, 40 miles an hour and the snow is coming at you, hypnotizing you in the headlights. That, and you realize this hour and a half drive is going to take me three hours at least if I make it home. And it's, it's, it's one of those days, you know, I'm just driving along and I'm grumbling in my head. And I think the Lord speaks to me most when I'm grumbling, Okay. <laughs> It's going to take like three hours to get home. I'm driving down the road, grumbling in my head, thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to take like three hours to get home at 35 miles an hour. I got to keep following this truck so I can stay in the you know, slush lines and, you know, this, and the snow and everything. And Do you want to play a minor role in the redemptive history of mankind? My voice, my head, not my idea. I'm telling you, I'm just grumbling. I'm just grumbling. And I think the Lord was like, if you're not going to use your brain, I'm going to. If you're not going to think anything relevant, I'm going to give you something to chew on. And uh, do you want to play a minor role in the redemptive history of mankind? What's your answer? Yes. 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 You want to play a minor role? I would like to play any. There you go. Okay, there's the spirit. All right, it's like, hey, you're going to fight in World War II. Do you want to be a clerk in the Philadelphia Navy Yard, or do you want to drive a tank? You know what I mean? It, what do you want to do? You're, gonna, you're, you're in the fight. So do you want to play a minor role? That's the way I, 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 I chewed on this for years, literally. This, every time I wasn't using my brain, the Lord would just kind of, hey, do you want to play a minor role in the redemptive history of mankind? I mean, the, the, the redemptive history of the story of God redeeming mankind is so huge. It's gigantic. I mean, it is the, it, it's that thing that's bigger than all of us that we have the privilege of belonging to, of having a role in. You know, it, I mean, World War II is like the only thing I can liken it to, this global conflict for the freedom of mankind, you know. And, you know, Grandpa, what did you do in the war? And we all want to say we contributed, right? We all did something. Do you want to play a minor role in the redemptive history of mankind? I'm thinking about this literally for years. Do I want to play a minor role? To play any role is an honor. But why would I want to play a lesser role? Why would I want to play a role which is kind of low-key, you know, in the backside of things? I'll work in the Philadelphia Navy Yard and, you know, count the bolts and nuts that have to be shipped overseas. Or do I want to be on the front lines of this fight? Do I want to do something? You know, the closer you get to that fight, the more risk there is, right? The more you're putting yourself out there the more you're engaging with people, which can be quite dangerous at times. And 
through studying this question and studying the Word of God, you come to realize one thing, that the major roles also include the major pain. And that nobody gets to do this for free. That if you, we live in enemy-occupied territory. You know, some of the truest words in the Bible were spoken by Satan. Ooh, Pastor Mac, what are you talking about there? When he's tempting Jesus, he says, he shows them all the world, right? And he says, all of this belongs to me, and to whoever I will, I give it. Wow. He was not lying. Jesus didn't call him out on that. What do you mean you think you own the world? No. Everything here which is in rebellion against God is ruled over by our enemy. And all the riches and resources of this world, he controls, he owns them, and he gives them to whoever he will. And I hate to say it, if you look at who he's given them to, there's some horrible people out there. And we live in that enemy-occupied territory. So do you want to play a minor role in this? Well, if you want to play a major role, it includes the major pain. You know, after, after winning alone, there was a huge, we're going back to 2016 here, huge internet buzz, people talking about me and all this stuff, and a lot of people watching this show and getting in contact with me, and, and it was a, a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of social media, you know, you're out there being talked about a lot. Well, I, had a, I have a website, and a person got in touch with me through my website, and she says, Hi, I just watched season two of Alone. I just want to let you know that you've given me all kinds of strength and you're inspiring me and, I, and all this stuff. And oh, by the way, I have stage four cancer and I'm dying. And here I'm thinking, I had a satellite phone the whole time I was out there. You know, I could call up the crew and say, come get me. I want, to get, I want, I want done with this suffering. I want out of here. And I accepted that challenge knowing that was going to be the case. It's not like they sprung the satellite phone thing on me at the very end, you know. Oh, by the way, if you get in trouble, call us. No, it's like you will have a safety net. We will be able to get to you within an hour or so, and you will have this satellite phone. If you have a broken leg or squirting blood or you fell off a cliff, whatever, just give us a call, and we'll, we'll come and do what we can. And that was part of the deal of me going into this, this dangerous thing that, that I did, knowing that I had this lifeline, knowing I had a safety net. I was working over a net. And here this, this girl, Lori, <clears throat> who lived here in Michigan, is saying, I inspired her. You know, she don't have that lifeline. She can't call out. She can't say, hey, you know, I'm all done with this cancer, which is literally eating my spine apart. Come get me. Could somebody please get me a thing of water? Real dry mouth with me at this. And I was just, I, I showed it to Karina, my daughter, who was living with me at the time. I said, look, we got to, we, we texted back and forth a little bit, and uh, she was having this big family get-together, kind of like her last send-off with, with all the family, and they invited us. And I had to go. And she was dying. I mean, she, her, her spine was being eaten apart by cancer. And while we were there, she's like, 29 years old, she had, had a, a young child, and just sad beyond words. And one of her uncles was there, and he said, hang in there, Lori, and Doug, please, if you have said this in the past, you can forgive yourself, okay? But he said, hang in there, Lori, God will never give you more than you can handle. I have heard that, please, stop saying that if you ever, if you, if that's a thing you say, you need to stop, because it's not true. God will never give you more than you can handle. 
How many of you people have been in a situation in your life where you couldn't handle it? Yeah, there you go. You know, that's a, that's a dumbed-down version of God will not allow you to be tempted above what you can withstand. He will always create a way, way of escape. That's talking about sin. That's talking about being tempted with sin. God will not allow you to be tempted in such a way that you have no option other than to sin. Okay? Now, let's not misappropriate that and apply it to every situation in life and say, God will never give you more than you can handle. I've seen people going through more than they can handle so many times in my life. There has to be an answer for this. Right? We have to respond to this. How do I respond to Lori with the Word of God as she is dying of cancer? And her uncle's going to dumb that thing down and say, Oh, God, I'll never give you more than you can handle. It's not biblical. Okay? It's not biblical. And when, when we look at the people who played the major roles in the redemptive history of mankind, the more pain is written into their script than anyone else. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, if you have your Bibles... Let's open up to, let's get my little notes here, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, I can prove to you right now that God will give you more than you can handle because he's done it and they wrote it down. God will never give you more than he can handle. There you go, okay. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, what's he talking about here? This is missionary journeys. Okay, this is him traveling around Asia. Now, that's not the Far East. Okay, they they called Asia was, you know, basically Turkey in that area of the world. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Look at that. Far beyond our ability to endure. He's not saying, hey, we had a a rough time. You know, I got food poisoning on the way to Brazil one time, right? It was horrible. And airports in South America, puking and other things, and that was bad. Got through it, didn't even put it in the prayer letter, you know? Far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. You get that? This is Paul. This is a missionary. He is is doing what God has called him to do. He goes to Asia. He's preaching the gospel. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Man. Praise the Lord. I... I was a missionary 15 years. I never got to the place where I feel like, felt like the people there were going to kill me just because I was a messenger of the gospel, right? I, not, no, I don't, can't wait to trade stories with Paul, you know, in heaven. Oh, you're a missionary too. What happened to you? Well, you know, the dollar kind of crashed and we were under a lot of economic strain. Yeah, nothing like he went through. I never thought I'd receive the sentence of death. Put yourself emotionally in that place where he must have been. I mean, here he is doing God's work, doing God's will, following what God wants him to do, going to these places, talking to these people, and it's getting worse and worse and worse to the point where we're about to die. This is the end. Our lives are over. Emotionally, some of you might have been there at some point, some sickness, some situation, you know, 
I know a lot of guys who have been in combat, and that's where they've been. It's like, wow, we're not getting out of this. And then somehow they do. But what does he say? Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves. And this is... He learned that lesson, but look at what, it paid, what he had to, the price he had to pay to learn that lesson, to rely on God and not himself. In other words, as he's going through this trial, what's, what's his response? He's, he's not saying, God has abandoned me. We, there is no God. Or if God was true, then why is this situation happening? If God was true, then why did my child die? If God is true, why did the accident happen? If God is true, why did he fall off the ladder and hit his head? He's not questioning that. He's not questioning God's existence, God's love, God's care, God's provision, or God's sovereignty. He's got a different mindset. He's looking, this isn't something which is happening to him. It's something that's happening for him. We, a bunch of guys went up to the forge, and we worked you know, hammering hammers into hatchets. It's kind of like plowshares into swords, kind of, but maybe backwards. But that's one of the things they had up on the wall. Understand that life is not happening to you, it's happening for you. That God is in control. That every one of these circumstances is something which God has brought into your life for a reason. And he's working you towards something. And what Paul is doing here is he's receiving these heavy hammer blows from God. He's getting pummeled. And rather than running away, he goes into the clinch. He goes in tight. He grabs on to God, a stress-free. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't say that God owes me a, a stress-free life. God owes me an easy road. God owes me that I can go into enemy-held territory and preach his gospel, his good news, and not, there's going to be no pushback whatsoever. Everyone's just going to say, oh, yeah, of course. We'll give up all the sin and debauchery and murder and treachery and all that stuff and receive Christ. He had fierce opposition in all these places. And yet he didn't lose his faith in God. To the point that even if God kills us here, we know God raises the dead. And we're going to stay here because he's put us here, obviously. Was God in control of the situation? Yeah. You know, when Jesus called Paul to minister to the Gentiles... Everyone's looking behind me. I have no idea what's up on the screen. When God called Paul, he, he said, I'm going to tell him of the things he must suffer for my name. Wow. Going in. I'm glad God didn't tell me of the things I would suffer as a missionary. Might have scared me off. You know, might have wimped out. You too? If you knew all the things that God had planned for you. <laughs> It's both terrifying and wonderful. You know, my son's sitting right here in front row. God had Daniel planned for me. Beautiful. You know, some other stuff that's really dark. They really hurt. You know, one time I was standing in, in I wasn't preaching in our, our church in Brazil. We had about 350 people in the church, and it was growing, and, you know, and they sing for about an hour. Okay, Ryan, you would love it there. Okay, you, you're called to Brazil, man, I'm telling you. You just get up there, and they, they sing. This song service lasts an hour because Brazilians are always chronically late to church. 
all right? And I would get there, they'd start at 7 o'clock, and there's like maybe 40, 50 people. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what happened? Everyone bailed on our church. And nope, by the end of that hour song service, it's all packed to the gills again. You know, they all filter in and come in late. And I remember one day I was standing in the back, and I'm watching. I wasn't preaching that night, so I was standing at the back, you know, where the glass doors were, and the people were coming in. And I'm just kind of going around the church and all the people there and thinking, yeah, that woman's son just went to prison for drugs, and that woman has domestic violence as a regular part of her life, and their child was just diagnosed with AIDS, and their daughter is pregnant out of something, and just going through, and everybody in the church was going through something, you know, everybody, and it just kind of overwhelmed me all of a sudden, just being on the inside of all these different lives and seeing all these different people going through all these different situations. That's the burden of being a pastor, by the way is like Pastor Wayne's on the inside of all your lives. He knows what's going on, and, you know, as you share with him. And he needs our prayer and support in that, okay? It's a very difficult thing to, well, it's a learning curve to learn to let the Lord bear those burdens. But seeing that and knowing all those things going on just kind of overwhelmed me. And then this new couple came in, okay, hadn't met them before, they're visiting. And they're like, oh, hi, how you doing? And they're all smiles and everything. And I'm thinking, what's your deal, you know? What are you guys going through? I didn't ask them, obviously. It's not. It's like, yeah, what's your major malfunction? Um, it's, yeah, they all do, though, don't we? And there has to be a response to this. There has to be a response. What is the Lord doing? Why is that true? And several things I think about. Number one, this is the only time we ever get to live by faith. You know that? Oh, Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. And you know the backstory of that, that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It, it is, yeah. That man lost, lost his entire family in an Atlantic crossing and wrote that hymn as, as a result. And it's just, Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. What does that mean? There, you know, if, if God ripped, asundered the, the, the heavens and we could see him as he is, Following him, loving him, obeying him would be a no-brainer. You wouldn't have to think about it. It's like, oh, that's reality, yeah. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to love God, obviously. It's amazing. So we're encapsulated in these bodies of flesh where we can't see it, and this is the only place we get to live by faith, the only place where we get to say, yeah, I'm going to believe God at his word. I'm going to do the dangerous thing. I'm going to get, be called into that thing. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to risk myself because I know my God's in control of this situation. This thing is happening to me, but I'm going to place my faith in God because I know who he is. And by faith, I will obey him. Not because it's a good deal, not because I can, if I do this thing, that's all, like all of South America has this idea that if I do this right thing and pull the lever, God will drop blessings on me. That is all of witchcraft, that, or spiritism, animism, that's all of Africa. It's in, in Brazil, that was the modus operandi, prosperity churches, all those things. If I do the thing, God will reward me with blessings, meaning material wealth. That's what they, they believe. Okay, it's heresy. In Brazil, this is how it works. You go to the, the, the church, uh, the was it Universal Church of the Kingdom of God. All right, money scam, total money scam. In fact, in Brazil, they have this habit when the Catholics, as they're riding, if they cross in front of a church, they, they cross themselves. 
Okay, they always do that. So if you're riding in a bus with a Brazilian in, in the city, and the bus goes past the church, the, half the people in the, in the bus cross themselves like this, right? And I'm sitting next to this very well-dressed young man. He's got a suit and tie on, and we're going down the road, and we go past a Catholic church, and he crosses himself. A little bit further down the road, we go past another Catholic church, and he crosses himself. A little further down the road, we go past the universal church of the kingdom of God, and I went like this. <laughs> Made the dollar sign in the air, and he just busted out laughing. He's just like, ah, that's so funny. You know, go past there. Money. That's all it's about. But what they do is they say, we've got a selection of blessed handkerchiefs here. We have the $50 handkerchief, the $100 handkerchief, the $500 handkerchief, and the $1,000 that on the car that you Now, you're to take that handkerchief, release your faith, take that handkerchief, go down on the street and rub that on the car that you want God to give to you. And don't just go up there a little bit and rub it. You rub it really big. Guy comes back next week, says, Pastor, I, I bought one of those handkerchiefs, and I rubbed it on the car, and they came out, and they chased me down the street. I didn't get the car. What do you think that guy's going to say? Well, which one did you buy? Oh, I bought the $50 one. Well, why'd you buy the $50 one? I want to see if it worked. See? That's not faith. You're testing God. You need the $1,000 one. Scam. Okay? And people act like faith is that way. Faith is when you lose your family in a ship crossing on the Atlantic. And you say, no, I'm not going to abandon my faith in God. Faith is where you are under the pressure of the sentence of death in Asia and saying, God called us here. We know that to be a fact. And we're going to continue to serve him in this place because we know that even if we die, he raises the dead. And God has this. And we're going to do this. That's faith. Faith is doing that which you know you can't handle in God's power, in God's strength. How long does it take the Sea of Galilee to firm up under the foot of a human being? You know? Lord, if it really is you, bid me to come. I can imagine Jesus like, all right, wow. He's coming, he's walking on towards the boat. Lord, if that really is you, bid me to come. Jesus is like, all right, come on. Come on out. What does Peter do? Man, he stepped out of a boat. YouTube is full of videos, fail videos of people <laughs> stepping off of docks, stepping out of boats. You know what I mean? They're trying to get in the canoe and slip and falls, and, and everybody laughs. It's hardwired into our brains to see a human being fall down. We all laugh. It's just the slip and fall. It's a whole genre of comedy. And, he, and here... Peter is heading for a slip and fall, right? He's stepping out of a boat. <laughs> Inherently illogical. It's more than he can handle. And he's walking towards Jesus, and what happens? He sees the wind and the waves, and he starts to sink. All right? He starts to sink. Because he knows, I can't handle this. I can't do this. What's that thing you've been called upon that you can't handle? God does put you in that, those situations. What is he doing? Indeed, we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. And here's the point where he is taking, that, taking you to a point with this trial, with this tribulation, landing those heavy blows to show you who you are and who he is in the situation. You cannot handle this on yourself. You cannot do it. And he will take 
what you think is your strength and reduce you down to weakness, bring you to the point where you're broken and you will depend upon him. That we will not rely on ourselves. Where I've got this. I can do this. What does Jesus say in John chapter 15? If you turn there with me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that you, it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah, nothing. That's pretty uh, conclusive there. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And we have this tendency to go through our lives and we say, I got this. I can handle this. This aspect of ministry, yeah, I can do that. And we, we gauge our lives based upon our own performance. And we think that I'll handle all the little stuff. You know, you ever see that, that bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? <laughs> really? We've reduced the creator of the universe to the co-pilot. Oh, got it. Yeah. I don't think God's in that car. He needs to be in the driver's seat, right? God isn't my co-pilot. God doesn't help me out with the light work. You know, the little stuff that I can handle the little stuff. Major stuff, yeah, we'll, call, we'll rely on God for that. No, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I know uh, Wayne is preaching through um, Romans. And I don't want to... Let's go to Romans 8. <laughs> I'm not going to stay here long. Okay? I, wanna, I wanna, just want to point out some very small words in here. Some very small words. Chapter 8 is one of the best chapters in the Bible. Okay? In fact, the entire book of Romans is amazing. And you know, it's, it's the most complete exposition of the plan of salvation of the gospel that we have in Scripture. And you know how it came about? This is really cool. Paul wanted to go to Rome to preach to the churches there. He wanted to go. He wanted to go. He was trying to go again and again and again. He was trying to get to Rome so he could get there and speak to them. And he was thwarted at every turn. He was thwarted, and finally he got frustrated and just said, you know what, I'm going to write it down in a letter and just send it to him. If I can't get there, a letter can. And he writes it all down. Aren't you glad that God impeded him from going to Rome? You know, there was no recorded messages back then. It wasn't like, they just, oh, tape this message. It's the most complete exposition of the gospel we're ever going to see. He had to write it down. And he didn't want to take the time to write it down or go through the expense and the effort to write it down because he was, until he was frustrated to the point that he couldn't go there. So then he just writes down everything he was going to say to him and sends it out. And, and every one of you has got a copy of that letter in your lap. Amen? 
praise God for trials and difficulties, and, and that's how things get done in response to these things. But he says in verse, uh, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Wow, people, this was Paul that said that. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So what kind of sufferings did Paul go through? Was it three times he was hit with a cat of nine tails? 39 lashes? Three times. Okay. Let's go to the beach with Paul, and he takes off his shirt. What's his back look like? Scar tissue from the top to the bottom. That was Paul's back. Caned, shipwrecked, stoned to death in Lystra. In other words, they stopped throwing rocks at the man when they thought he was dead. I mean, stoning somebody is a lot of work. You know, you got to throw the big rocks, and a lot of them. And when they had done that labor, and there he is, a bloody pulp, they literally threw his body in the town dump and left him there. And he wrote, I consider, now let's personalize it for Paul. Okay? Something you can do with Scripture, you can change the pronouns. I know a lot of talk about pronouns these days. Okay, we're going to change them. We're going to use personal pronouns in Scripture. For I consider that my present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in me. Okay? And you can say that too. Because he's talking about us, the corporate we, all of us together, can say that individually about, my, about myself. I consider that my present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in me. He says that about you. That is true. You can say that about yourself. It is equally true. See what I did there? Just by changing the pronouns? All of a sudden, it's not about other people. It's about me. It's about you. It's about us individually. And we can plug in our present sufferings. I consider that chemotherapy is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in me. What's your present suffering? What's the thing you're dealing with? It's not happening to you. It's happening for you. God's in control. He's still there. He's still in control. Now, there's a very little word in there at the very end, which is interesting. And a lot of people don't understand this, this verse or verses like it where they think, what I'm going through is nothing compared to what I will see in the future, to what God has planned for me. That one day I will go to heaven and everything will be cool and beautiful and no more pain and no more dealing with things. I will live not by faith in God, but by sight in his presence. That's not what it's saying here. Because the one little tiny word, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In us. Not to us. It's not like we're going to get there and see... He's revealed, those sufferings are revealing something which is in you. He's bringing something out, bringing something to vis- visible, manifesting something which is already in you. And your sufferings and your trials and your tribulations and all these things which are happening for you are happening with the intention of bringing that out of you, revealing the glory which is within you. 
Who might that be? You know those people doing all these things to get the blessing of God? The blessing of God has a name. It is Jesus. It is Jesus Christ, and he, inhabit, he is in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. What is this making me into? What sort of person? Look at, look at Paul. Stoned to death. And he comes back with this kind of attitude. That's glorious. That's amazing. You know, when, whenever we're going through something, practically, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we get to the point? Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians here for a second. Ephesians chapter 3. It says it again here in the, in the same way. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Read with my bifocals here. This is another one where people, people get, it, get it wrong. They think it's talking about heaven. Paul says in verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Amen. That's our God, right? He can do anything. He can do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. And we all believe that, right? Our God is not a limited God. He's not a God which is like, okay, I can only take it so far, and then you're on your own. That's not our God. He is capable of doing more than we can ask or imagine. And we believe that about our God, that he can change any situation. He can alter anything. He is ultimately in control. He will come back one day. He will be peace on earth, justice, judgment of the wicked. Amen, right? It's not what it's talking about here. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. According to his power that is at work within us. He's not saying our God is capable of doing all kinds of amazing things. He is saying that, but he's, he's saying that he does that according to his power, his Holy Spirit, which is at work within us, in me. And our trials and our tribulations and our sufferings and all these things are revealing that glory in us. They're bringing that out. You know, if, you, if your car breaks and then you fix your car, you might have to go out and buy some special tools, right? Then you fix the car. And the car's all fixed, and you still get to keep the tools. Isn't that cool? That is really cool. Yeah, you have C-clamps, because the desk broke or something. You had to buy a bunch of C-clamps, and now you have the desks fixed, and you have all these C-clamps. Cool. I have that capability. I have that strength. Every trial and tribulation and situation we go through, in which we go through it in obedience, in faith, depending on him, walking, doing the thing that we're supposed to do, you come out the other end of it. I have never had a situation in my 57 years. I received Christ in 1981. Been walking with him for a while now. Never, ever, in any situation. Oh, man, why did I obey God in that? Oh. I mean, the sin was right there, and I said, no. What? What is wrong with you, dude? Never. Never. Never once. Why'd I help that person? Oh, they needed to move, and I, and I loaned them my truck, and oh, man, what an idiot. <laughs> Never once had regret obeying God or doing the right thing. Never once. Lots of other times where I did have regrets. Right. And guess what I was doing? 
sin, thinking about myself, right? Okay, my first job out of college. I'm a billing clerk in a tire company. If anyone here is a billing clerk in a tire company, I've, I, you know what I'm about to say. The most boring job on the planet. My wife was telling me that I, had, I was talking tire sizes in my sleep while I was training for this job. In the office, there wasn't any other Christians there. Everybody smoked in the office. They didn't actually smoke. They burned cigarettes. Okay, we're all working at our desks. They all have an ashtray. They light up a cigarette. They set it in the ashtray, and they just let it burn like incense, right? And the whole room has got this pall of smoke just kind of hanging in it, and you're kind of typing underneath it, and it was terrible. Well, a report, one of our salesmen came and asked me to run a report. I knew how to do it. I never run it before, but I, he's like, can you run such and such a report? Yeah, I can. Just, just, it's coming out of the machine, right? No big deal. The office manager, Sheila, used that report as like the carrot and the stick kind of thing with all the salesmen, and I just completely circumvented her authority in the office by giving that report to this salesman who was also her ex-husband, and it was just like, yeah, you kind of get the picture. I got used, and she exploded. I've been there probably three months, four months, and here is this woman screaming at me, totally lost it. She is just screaming, and I'm just sitting there with all the adrenaline going, you know? When she was done, just customers, all the sales force, even guys in the shop stopped working so they could listen to Sheila screaming at me, all right? I wanted to, everything in me just said, pick up your computer monitor, and at the time, they were big and heavy, right? And just throw it through the wall and walk out. That's everything in me was going for that. And I knew I needed, I can't walk out of this job. This is how I pay the rent. This is how I support my wife. Just married. Sat there for like an hour and a half doing my job quietly, teeth clenched, bladder full. And now I got to get up and I got to walk right past Sheila's desk to get to the men's room. A calm answer turns aside wrath. Burst pops in my head. Calm answer turns aside wrath. And I'm like, well, that's the last thing I do is give her this woman a calm answer. So I get up out of my desk again and again. Holy Spirit just tells me, calm answer turns aside wrath. So I get up out of my desk. I go over to Sheila, and I kind of get down to her level. She was sitting, you know, and I said, hey, I just want to apologize for running that report. I had no idea it was your territory. I thought I was just doing him a favor, but I see now how I was wrong. She looks at me like this, <laughs> literally, <laughs> mouth open, and I just walked away, and she's just, now I had options, didn't I? I could do it my way, which would have been the highway, or I could do it God's way, which opened up the rest of the afternoon, just her and I talking about all the things that she was angry at with the company, and it all came down, and she had placed it all on me and all kinds of stuff. Really good conversation, great relationship after that. Because a calm answer turns aside wrath. Well, what happened? In my present suffering, okay, that's one instance. I'm not always consistent in that. You aren't either. But working towards that consistency of 
obeying God, understanding this situation is happening for me, not to me. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to walk with him no matter what happens. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to obey. I'm going to stay here in this, in this position. I'm not going to give up on God. I'm not going to give up on his power. And this is revealing in me something which is wonderful, which God is in control. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, right? He is conforming us to the image of who? Of Jesus. I, I, I think people, we get it wrong. We say, I have a ten, this tendency to sin that I have. You have the ability to sin. You do not have the tendency to sin. You have a new nature, which tends towards God, which orients towards him, which feels horrible when you sin, which he chastens you when you sin, which he always brings you back. He's always going to bring you back to that point. Okay? In Ephesians there. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. That power is in you to do amazing things, which only God can do. And he's going to put you in situations where you won't be able to depend on yourself. He'll put you in situations where you can't rely on yourself. You know what, I think back to the church and everybody going through something. You know, some of those people were going through long-term things. You know, if you lose your leg in a car accident and you wake up tomorrow morning, you're still not going to have a leg. And the next day, you're going to wake up every day, you're not going to have that leg. And you're going to have to draw strength from him every day. So what does it look like to draw strength from God? How do we do it? What's the practical application of this? Abide in me. Okay, what does that mean? Abide in me. Because apart from him, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Not even a little, not even a good job, not even a mediocre job. You can't do anything. So when you get to that place where you're suffering, where you don't know what to do, where you need strength, where you can't go on, how does it, how does it work? What's the practical application? Forever, for the rest of my life, I'm always going to be using analogies from my story on Vancouver Island, right? Huge impact in my life. I learned a lot out there. A couple things that I learned on, on the island. Uh, dealing with anxiety. Anybody here have anxiety? Yeah, everyone goes like this. Why? Because I have anxiety to raise my hand and say, yes, I have anxiety, right? You're like, yeah, that's me. Okay. I found myself sometimes, I'd be out there on the island and I'd be fishing, beautiful day, beautiful place, amazingly picturesque location. And I'm worried about the future. I'm running off into the future. I'll go way out into the future and I'll grab some horrible day, some horrible imaginative imagination, and I'll bring it back into a, a right now, which is really, really cool, and none of those things are happening. And I'll sit here and I'll feel all that pain, all that fear, all that terror, and I'll bring that into a right now, which is really kind of good. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? Where right now, I'm fine. But I've got all kinds of fear and anxiety because I'm thinking about some imaginary day that God never had planned for me, and I'm bringing it into my right now, and I'm living it. Or I'll go off into my past. I'll remember that horrible day. That day that my dad did you know, whatever it was, and I'll bring that in, and I'm sitting here angry about that day all those years ago. In a right now, which is, hey, I'm 
fishing for crabs on Vancouver Island, shooting TV for a major TV show. So why am I thinking about that? Why don't I just bring myself into my right now? And your right now is a very important place. The power of now is amazing, and the power of now is where you can abide in Christ. It's the only place you get to do that, is in your right now. You can't say, oh, next year I'll abide in Christ. Or, oh, I should have. You can beat yourself up for not doing that in the past and trying things on your own. Your right now is the only time you can act in faith. Right now is the only time you can step out of a boat onto the Sea of Galilee. You don't get to do that in the future. You get to do that in your now. You didn't do it in the past. You get to do that in your now. The power of now is extremely important. Now I'm going to tell you something very embarrassing that happened to me on Vancouver Island. Self-revelatory information here, okay? I had to make fire every day in order to cook my food, and which is usually fish and crabs and seaweed and limpets. Sounds appetizing, doesn't it? Okay, so I get back to my shelter one day, and I have to make a fire, and I build it all up, got it lit, lit doing other things. I look over, and it burned out. I mean, the place gets 12 to 20 feet of rain a year. It's a rainforest. It's a very wet place. Everything's wet. Okay, and I'm filming this. Got the film. So I build the fire up, and I got it going. Okay, it looks like it's going to take. I got to go back to other things. I look over, and you know, it burned out. So I built it back up. I lit the fire. And I go, da, da, da. Now I got to do my other things. It looks, it's going. Yeah, it's better than before. And I go over and look over, and it burned out. And I... See, they had a rule. You can't delete anything off your film. No deletions. And they'll know. There's like a timestamp, and they're all sequentially numbered to clips. And if you delete one, it, that, it'll skip that number, and they will say, why did you delete? So if you didn't want it on film, you didn't film it. And I dove for that camera, and I shut the camera off as quick as I can, and I blasted Vancouver Island with a good, real, solid stream of profanity. Yeah, well, I, I did. Really loud, really offensive. I would shock everybody here if I actually said it. Blank me today is basically what I screamed. And instantly. I'm like, this is not me quietly depending on the power of the Lord to get through life. First thing I thought, I'm just like... I said, Lord, I'll out. Lord I, I am sorry, I just did that. This is not me depending on you. This is me depending on me and failing. And I'm frustrated. And I haven't eaten in a couple of days. These are not excuses. But I don't want to do that anymore. Could you please just make this fire for me so I can eat my dinner? And I made the fire. And it burned. And I praise God, exactly. Thank you for this fire, Lord. See, because it happened so I wouldn't rely on myself, right? The, he's putting me in these positions to teach me not to rely on myself, not to say, I got this, I got this, I can handle it, I can handle it. I had, a, I had a student one time in my survival school down in Brazil who was actually a federal police officer, like their version of an FBI agent, wouldn't let me teach him how to make fire in the jungle. You got like eight other students and stuff, and this guy's, ah, I got this, it's easy, I'm going to fire, fire. Like, why are you paying for this course if you're not going to let us teach you? And finally, when all the other students had their fires going, he was completely humiliated. He said, okay, yeah, you can show me a thing or two here. 
And we taught him how to make a fire in rainy season jungle, and yeah, it worked. And he learned something. But he had to get broken to become teachable. He had to become humiliated before he could be humble to say, yes, I, I can't do this. Okay? So approaching that fire, that was like me saying, I'm a wilderness survival instructor. I can do this. I got this. Not being dependent on God. Towards the end of my time, I get there, I've lost like 35 pounds. I'm literally a stick figure in, in all those bulky clothes. How long were you there? 66 days. Okay, I, this is like the midpoint. I, I got dropped on September 20th, and I came out the day before Thanksgiving. Okay, and I was a stick man. But I remember coming home one, one night to my shelter, and I had a chopping block, you know, a sawed-off log that I'd floated in, and I used it as a chopping block in my shelter. And I come back, and I'm overwhelmed with the idea that I have to make a fire. I got no gas in the tank. I am not even on fumes anymore. I am just a starving man with no energy, and it's cold, and I'm standing in my shelter. I've got like a couple fish, like two or three fish to cook and maybe a crab, and I'm just overwhelmed with the monumental task of building a fire. And I'm just, I remember standing there. I'm just standing in my shelter, and I've got that chopping block in front of me, and I'm just like, just kind of like wobbling on my feet. Just, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do this. And I'm looking at just watching my breath in the headlamp, you know, I'm just like, you can put a piece of wood on that chopping block, right? Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Put a piece of wood on the chopping block. The Lord says to me, hit it with the axe. You can do that, right? Yeah, I, I, could, I could hit it with the axe, yeah. We'll put it back up on the block. You can do that, right? I'm like, Lord, I can't make this fire, but you can, you can do that, right? Yeah, I can, I can do that. He talked me through every step of the way in his grace. And he gave me the strength to do it. Not in one shot. Oh, you need to make a fire? Okay, here we go. Here's all the strength you're going to need to get through tonight. Go for it. Oh, thanks, Lord. Nope. Hit it with the axe. Here's the strength. Go ahead. Hit it with, hit it with the axe. Here's the strength. Make your cedar shavings. Okay, here's the strength. Okay? Talk me through every, every little step of the simple thing of making a fire. Something I've taught countless numbers of people how to do. But that night I couldn't do it, and he did it for me. Gave me the strength moment by moment. So the power of your now. Bring, your, bring yourself, you know, my brother in my head, I'm just, you know, I'll be present. Wherever you go, be all there, because I'm like space cadet. I live in my head, I'm just, you know, I'll be present in the room, but I am not there, okay? And just be present where you are. Bring it back into the now. What do I need strength from God to do right now? to walk in faith, to obey him. What do I need from him right now? And he'll give it. In your right now. Not in your next week. I don't know what you're going through. But you're only going to go through it moment by moment, aren't you? And as you abide in him, as you trust in him, as you walk with him, as you turn towards him and obey, he will give you the strength moment by moment, as you do that. 
He doesn't do it all at once. Let me get my verses here. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. And with this, I will wrap it up. Chapter 8 and verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That's a horrible list. Isn't it? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. As is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? Amen. But I want you to notice a little tiny word in there. We wanted to read, from all these things we will be preserved and we won't have to experience them. That's what we want. Because I am in Christ and he is in me. I won't have to go through Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. That's how we wanted to read, but it's not what it says. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things, which means you're going to go through it. You're going to experience these hardships. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. Because guess who's going through it with you? He is. Guess who's going through chemo when you're going through chemo? Jesus Christ. He lives in you. Experiences every one of those moments. Guess who's in you as you're going through that divorce or have lost that child or have got the call at 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever it is. Guess who's in you? He is. And if you obey him, submit yourself to him, let him manifest himself there, In that situation, guess who gets to show up in the midst of your suffering and be a blessing to everyone around you and to you and bring you through the other side? And believe me, when you get done, you get to keep the tools. You get to keep all that growth. You get to be that person who went through that thing with the Lord, came out the other end, and it was a testimony to many. People will see it in fear and put their trust in God. Because they saw him in you go through that thing. And he did it moment by moment. He did it as you obeyed. He did it as you submitted yourself to him. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's not, that's who you are in that thing you're going through. And it's not a matter of, this isn't theory, folks. It's not a theoretical way to handle your problems. It's scripture. It's truth. Obey it. All right? That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Can we pray? All right. Father God, I thank you that uh, you are absolutely in control of this world that has gone crazy. Father, we are living in clown world right now, where evil is called good and good evil. Everything's turned on its head. And we are at a loss sometimes for how to proceed. But Lord, I just pray that we would abide in you, that we would obey you, that we would walk in you and follow your footsteps because you are in us 
And Lord, I just pray that you would give us the, the calm, the grace, the mercy that we need to abide in you moment by moment and allow you to live your life through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.